Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Alex. And this is Season 2 of Flannel and Beards. Hey, Eric. Hey, Alex. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's very near and dear to my heart. Oh, right, what would that be? How much bivocational ministry sucks. Yeah, you know, I'm smelling what you're stepping in. <laughs> I So I was, this is a side point, but um, my friend Justin, he has this idea that everyone has these phrases they say all the time, and we should make bingo cards for them. Ah. So I started thinking about what you would say while you're over there. That was one of the phrases okay. you always say. Another is like, how are you, brother? You always say, how yeah. are you, brother? I do, don't I? Um, and so, anyways. You know what else I say a lot? What's that? Does that make sense? You do say that. I say that all the time. Yeah. Like, I say it so much, it's bothering me now. Yeah. I'm very self-conscious. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to think about what mine are. He had some for me. But anyways, so a few months ago, I sat down before COVID with a church planter from South Philly. And uh, he was a bivocational planter, planted some house churches, uh, really cool guy, and uh, started talking to him about what that world was like and what he did. And he said, bivocational ministry sucks. Mm. And I was like, I can feel that. Like, I work part-time at an art center. I also fill in with some landscaping. And then I write some articles for some Christian publications. And then I'm church planting. And somehow being a husband, too. And he said it, I thought it, he put it so well. He said, bivocational ministry makes you a bad pastor, a bad husband, a bad dad, and a bad employee. Mm. And he said, and yet, our networks and our denominations and our organizations push this as the great salvation for future ministry. Yeah. So what do you think, Eric? Um, I think that bivocational ministry sucks. Um, look... Is it biblical? Obviously. Like, there's Paul the tent maker, right? That's, is rape and murder biblical? <laughs> that's, it's in the Bible. Just because it's in the Bible, it doesn't mean we should do it. Is I mean, the word saying? biblical means right. it's in the Bible. They kind of so. condemn them for not giving a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if there's a little passive aggressiveness in Paul. Sometimes he had that. Um, he was pretty just straight up aggressive. Yeah, he was. But, so, so is it wrong to be bivocational? Absolutely not. Wrong, but I, yeah, I guess I, we'd have to talk about what do you mean by wrong? Right, maybe we, I mean, like, there's a place for it, okay? Yeah, I think there's a legitimate place for it. Um, so when we first moved to Philly to plant a church, I and I didn't, I was blessed enough to be funded enough to where I did not have to have another job necessarily. Yeah, um, I got another job to immerse myself. In my neighborhood, it was a job. It was just a. I was a cashier at a car wash. Yeah, I remember that. But uh, I met so many people came in the same time every week. Did the car wash. I I still have relationships with people that I met being a cashier at a yeah. car wash. That's so cool. it was great. Like just wanted to get to know my neighborhood, get to know my neighbors. Awesome. Um, then I started like, you know, I kind of need a job. Like money's tight, giving is inconsistent. You know, so I was like, I needed a job. So. Um, I started, I've done a few things. I did Uber for a little while, which was actually kind of fun. Um, I've delivered flowers. I'm currently delivering flowers now. Okay. you still. And I will say this, like my, lots of reasons. I used to take Friday off as my day off. Now I take Monday off, but I also, I've been delivering flowers on Tuesdays. 
So, like, I get done church on Sunday and work on Sunday, but then I have Monday, whereas my day off, and then Tuesday I work all day, so I don't get started back working for the church technically until Wednesday morning. And, man, it just feels like the pressure is on because, like, there's only a couple days left, right? And um, it's just, it is really hard to balance it all. Like, it's extremely difficult. Yeah, so I feel much the same way. Yeah. So I work part time at the art center, mm-hmm. local nonprofit art center. I was serving there on the board because mm-hmm. we worked in the community so much. They said, "Hey, we need a good community person like you on the board." Mm-hmm. I was like, "It costs seven thousand dollars to be on your board a year. I can't pay that." They said, "Oh, we'll cover it. We just want your voice on the board." Um, and so I was on the board, and uh, there was a position for a janitor. And I stepped off the board and started cleaning toilets. Wow. Um, and so I work part-time at the art center. Um, I will say this, We though, can't have I a stinking home, janitor on our board. Well, I do feel like cleaning toilets is the first century equivalent of washing feet. So I used to own a janitorial business. Uh-huh. I so used to clean yeah. a lot of toilets. Yeah, so yes. you understand that. Yeah. Um, so I will say this, though. I come home physically exhausted. Yeah. Uh, mentally exhausted because you just so wore out. It's a three-story building with a basement. I'm running up and down all day long, hard physical labor. And, uh, and you know, the longer I'm there and now with COVID, they're like, we need you to work a little bit more hours. We need you to work a little bit more hours. And, you know, what started for when they interviewed me was going to be four hours a day. When the first day I showed up, they're like, no, you work five hours, you know? And so now it's like six hours, you know? And so... Uh, it's just more and more, and you realize, well, this squeezes out opportunities for me to connect with people. It squeezes out time for me to think of creative, innovative ways to do things. It just squeezes out time for me to produce quality messages yeah. and content. Like I just like bare minimum for the sermon. What what can I get away with? <laughs> yes. yes, and that's terrible. I think that um, most especially for you because you're a very creative writer and thinker. Well, thank you. Yes. I feel like that's my one skill in this world is creative uh, writing and thinking. Yeah. And so anything that damages that, I feel. Like I would agree with that. That's your only skill. So I would agree. That's my <laughs> own skill. Um, I'm kind of good at Call of Duty Warzone, but you know it's got to be the right day. Have enough caffeine. <laughs> um, so. Why do you think networks and denominations and organizations talk so highly of bivocational? They even come up with hip nicknames for it, like co-vocational. Or bivo. Bivo, co-vocational. Like, if we come Uh, up with a cool new name, then there won't be such a stigma about it, and we'll get guys to be excited about it. Yeah. So I I sat down with a partnering church. This is a mega church uh, in the South, and I was like, give my church plant some money. I mean, I pitched it better than that, right, but, yeah. you know, that's what I said. And the guy told me, he goes, you know what you should do is get a degree in tech or in graphic design or something, and then you can fund your church plan. Did he offer to pay for your degree? No, he did not. Uh, that would have been awesome. I would have paid him. I would have been all But I said, I have a degree, and then I have a master's degree, because I went to seminary, because mm-hmm. that's what you're supposed to do when you're going that's into ministry. That's what you tell us to do. Yeah. And so now you're telling me I should go back to school for four years to get this degree? And $100,000 more in debt? Yeah. Like, uh, I just don't understand that. Like, now, if you told me at the beginning of my college career, some days God's going to call you into ministry. Some days God's going to call you to church plan. So you should do this now. How does anybody know that on the front end? Right. I I don't feel like it is a realistic thing. So why do you think organizations, networks, and denominations push Uh, it? 
It's all about the Benjamins. That's, I mean, if I'm just going to be untactful and brutally honest, they're like, okay, we see that we're not going to be able to continue to fund church planning. We see that churches aren't going to fund church planning at the rate that's needed. So we have to come up with another way to get church planners, um, but also make it feasible for them to pay their bills every month somehow or away. That that I so I I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah. I think it's all about the money, and I think that networks and denominations and organizations they teach their their planters to plant missional churches, but then they realize missional churches won't have the return on investment. So they won't yes. have the return on investment when it comes to money yeah. Yeah. that we need, and so that an attractional model would. So we still want to teach them to plant a missional model, but then we want to tell them. Hey, you better be bivocational to actually make that missional model that's, work. That's yes, that's one of, because here's the thing: like the missional model is kind of the buzzword since the early 2000s, I guess. Um, and I love it. That's what we're doing. Like I believe in it. I'm not doing it because it's a buzzword. I'm doing it because I've prayed about it. I've studied scripture. I've studied lots of other things. Like this seems the most like the first century church that I can think of that we can do in the context of America. I think it's what it's going to take to reach urban, unchurched people. Yes. um, And people near large urban centers who are unchurched. It's going to take a missional church. Yes. But they realize those churches are not going to be big enough to give enough money back to them where they consider it financially feasible to support. Or or even if they do get... Because they don't think that a kingdom investment that they can immediately see a return on investment from is worth investing in. I'm laughing at you because you're really worked up about this. It's it's fun to watch. Um, I am worked up about it. Yeah. Even if there is a return on investment, it's... It's uh, it's it's like a a twenty year, you know, T bill. Like yeah. it's it's way down the road. It's not quick growth. Um, you know, when when I came to Philadelphia, one of the big things, and you hear people say it all over in church planning world. It's not like it used to be. You can't just put up a sign and expect people to show up at your church. Yes, they are right about that. Yes. Um, but you, there are some places in the south where you can still right, do that. and there might be a few places here and there where you can like especially if, if you're doing if you're doing a missional church and people get to know you that you love the community and then you put a sign up that says oh they, we're the people that have been doing this you might just start to have some you know but even then it's missional um you you've laid the foundation um so so yeah so they they there has to be somewhere to meet in the middle and by vocation is the only way and here's the thing like is it easy? No. Am I willing to do it? Yes. Um, because I'm willing to do it too. Right. Obviously, I'm doing it. Right. I just bought a house here. I'm not going anywhere. Mm. I'll work whatever job and however many jobs I need to do yep. to make this church survive and thrive because it's yep. reaching people no other church cares about or is interested in. Right. But what I'm sick of is the sales pitch that this is a really good thing and I yes. should be excited yes. about it. That's what I'm sick of. I'm I'm with you. Like, and have, here, let me. So okay, my staff, okay. I have I have three guys on staff with mm-hmm. me now. Uh, awesome, like top notch guys. Love God. They're willing to do whatever it takes to reach the lost, to see the God, kingdom of God advanced. And so, two of them have moved from out of state. Um, one of them was in our neighborhood already, but like really altered their lives to become bivocational in ministry. Um, 
It's tough on them. It's tough on me as a pastor, too, because I'm, I work less than any of them at a second job. Um, but it's hard for us to all connect as a staff and yeah. get on the all same page. Different kids. If you're working a part-time job, and they have kids, crazy. And they all have kids. And so, like, it is incredibly frustrating through no fault of their own. Like, yeah. they are, like... They're sacrificing to make it happen. They are. And their wives are sacrificing. And their children are sacrificing to make it happen. Um, but, man, it is so difficult to make it work. Let me ask you this, Eric. Has anyone ever told you, oh, being bivocational is great, who's actually bivocational? Ooh, that's a good question. Everyone I, who has told me, bivocational is so great, there's all these great things about it, have always been someone in a full-time ministry position yeah. who's making over $60,000 a year. Yeah. I will say this. my One of my guys, my discipleship director... Um, he only wants to be bivocational. He's doing it now, not in the lead church planner role at this point. I, I think one day he may be there. Um, but he only wants to be bivocational. It's tough, but he loves it. Um, because where he works, he has such interaction with the community. He feels like God's peace is there. Yeah. And he feels like everything that God's doing through him in terms of ministry, he's doing through that job. And so he is bivocational, not a lead church planner, not a lead pastor, but in ministry very much so. And I will say this, he is a, um, he is a perfect example of what a church planner is, who's someone who just is a self-starter, who you know is going to work day in and day out. Well, some church planners aren't that, but most are, you know. Um, and, and so he, he's, he's probably the only one. Um, yeah, I've, I've never had that. But Despite how hard it is and how much how frustrating it can be, are there any advantages that you see to being bivocational, or what are some of the good things? So I think God is so good; He can take something bad and bring good out of it, right? Yeah. It's your favorite word, sovereignty. Yeah. Yes. He brings good out of bad situations, yeah. and I think He does. Like it allows you to rub shoulders with people every day who don't know God right. and don't know the ways of Jesus, and gives you a chance to interact with them and have conversations with them. Um, you don't have to go and figure out, like, how am I going to get around unchurched people this week? You're forced to go there yeah. every day between this time and this time. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, a, that's an advantage. Um, I think, though, that the cost to your schedule and to your family is so high. Yeah. I have to wonder if we can't either, first of all, just straight up be honest with guys this is going to suck, yeah, and it's going to be hard, and you need to be prepared for that. <laughs> like, let's stop lying about but it. We and might have to people. Make it... We might have people decide not to be church planters if we tell them that. <gasps> oh no! I think if someone's really called to church plant, they'll show up and do it, even if it's hard. In fact, it being hard and you being called to do something hard sometimes is exciting, right? So Corey Ten Boom yes. has a great love quote. her. Love her. If the devil can't make you bad. He'll make, make you, you busy. busy. Yes. And we've presented bivocational ministry as something good and a good alternative. And I think, honestly, we've been suggesting something that's spiritually bad for our church planters and leaders because it makes them so busy running to do their church stuff, running to do their family stuff, running to do their employee stuff, that they are just spiritually and emotionally exhausted. Yeah. And they're giving their dregs to God instead of their best. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I agree with all that. I, I think some of the good, one of the good things that I've seen is, especially as a church planner, 
And I, I have a feeling that it's this way in most major cities. I could be wrong. It's definitely this way in Philadelphia. Is the times where I didn't have another job outside of church planning, my friends and neighbors, and they did not understand. Like, it's hard for people in a church culture to understand what we're doing, how we get paid. Like, yeah, okay, so you say you're starting a church, but where's, there's no church. Oh. Like, is this a front? Are you really dealing drugs? Yeah. Are you, you know, what, what are yeah. you doing? Human trafficking? It's a mob like, church. That's exactly it. With a Russian last name like mine, they just yeah, assume. Yeah, they just assume it's KGB. Yeah, right. He's, a, he's undercover. It You've is. seen the Americans. We all know it. You know, it's yeah. okay. You might as well just come clean. No one believes you, but we know it's true. You know, the perfect KGB cover. I'm a church planner. That's exactly it, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I think it gives you legitimacy in the eyes of people who don't understand. Yeah. And I think that goes a long way. I I would say this. Um, when I had to raise support, like support raising is hard too. Yes. Uh, some people it's easier than others. Some people have no problem asking. You're for pretty likable. Like the southern people come up and you're like, hell's them balls, y'all. Yeah, yeah. You like sweet tea and barbecue? <laughs> Me too. And they're like throwing money at you. And I'm over there and I'm like, let me tell you all the books I've read and yeah. all the diagrams I've drawn about church planting. And they're like, this guy is boring. <laughs> Let's give more money over there to our good old boy eating grits. That's, that's only... Okay, it's true. Uh, but but some, but some I had a real hard time asking for money. Um, but, Every time I saw you, it seemed real easy. Well, I got better. Here's, okay. here's There was a turning point. It was before I actually moved up here. There was a turning point. And it was like, I was just praying about it because I, I had this meeting coming up and I was like, man, I don't want to, God, I just feel so guilty. I feel so bad. It feels so awkward to say, hey, will you partner with us financially to support this church plant? And and this, you know, God was just like, look, either you want to see the lost save or you don't. If you truly want to see the lost save, it's no small thing to ask for some money to help do it. If that's the only thing standing between you and reaching a lost, then What's the big deal? Yeah. And it was, and I know it seems simple, and most of us have probably heard that, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks, and it was a paradigm shift. And it was like, I had no, I did not care what people thought of me anymore. I did not care what they would say anymore. I did not care what the look on their face was. I didn't care how much money they had or didn't have, what denomination they were. I just like, souls are at stake. I'm going to do what it takes. Um, And the same attitude towards planning. Um, So I would say this. Bivocational is very hard. Don't go into church planning thinking, well, I don't have to raise support because I just be bivocational. Try to raise as much support as you can and work as little as you can. Work, raise the support really hard. Work hard at it. Make the hard phone calls. Write those letters. Make those uncomfortable follow-up phone calls. Hey, you said you'd get back to me. I think there's a good principle here. Yeah. Um, In church planting, you should never run away from the hard thing. You should always run towards the hard thing. Yeah. That's the very definition of leadership. If you can't do that, you're probably not ready to be a church planter. And so that means running towards the hard conversations about funding. And that means running even to the hard reality of having to work a bivocational job. I think one of the advantages, as much as I hate it and think it sucks and that I think it's overbuilt as this great thing Mm -hmm. when actually it's a pretty terrible thing. I think an advantage is it keeps you very grounded about the real world questions and the scenarios that people in your church are facing every single day. You know what it's like to be in a job where they're like, you can't talk about Jesus. You can't do this. Like, you know what it's like when your coworker is talking about the most uh, 
a ridiculous sexual scenario and you're like, oh my word, like, should this be said? My virgin ears. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm a church planner, I can't hear this. Yeah. Like, it gives you, many times, ministers, whether they intend to or not, they get into a church bubble where they're hanging with their other pastor friends and all they're doing is talking theology and they forget what the real world is like. Yes. Bivocational forces you uh, to yeah. not forget that. Absolutely. So, what is, we're running out of time because I got a meeting. So, sorry guys. But what is, if you could leave someone with one encouragement, because we already established that it stinks, but what would be one encouragement to someone who's looking down the barrel of the gun mm-hmm. of bivocational <laughs> church planning? Um, I would say be very careful with your schedule. Make sure you schedule Sabbath and rest. Yes. And make sure that you use your time very wisely. And so that means saying no to meeting with a lot of church people, pastor people, denomination people, network people, organizational people, and saying yes to hanging with unchurched people, the people that Jesus would have partied with. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You have to own your schedule. You have to run your schedule, not let your schedule run you. So that means, like, for Christy and I, practically, we plan all of our time off first. That's the first thing that goes on our calendar. Then we fill in everything else after that. Um, and, and so if you're a church planner, uh, I encourage you as much as you can, plan your time off first, your Sabbath rest, um, vacation time, all that's the holidays, whatever, birthdays, your wife's birthday anniversaries, all that stuff. Get out the yearly calendar and do that. Then plan your church time. What do you want your church time to look like? And then try to find a job that fits into there. But you have to be in charge. And then you have to, and I am, if you're a people pleaser, if you say, if you're a person who likes to say yes to everyone, um, this is extremely hard. It's going to be painful. But you have yeah. to guard that schedule with your life. Like, you, I mean, I understand that no one, it's not perfect. Like, there's going to be times you're going to switch stuff around or whatever. Like, I'm not saying don't be flexible to an extent, but, man, your schedule, you have to guard it. Um, so that would be my advice. My encouragement to you, though, is that God is gracious, and his strength is perfected in our weakness. And God will get you through it no matter what it is, whether it's a shortfall in giving, and you have to get a job, or you're just starting out, and, man, you've asked everyone, every church that you know of, and even churches that you don't, and no one's given, but you still feel called God will absolutely see you through it. It's going to be hard. There's going to be fights and arguments at home. Um, but by God's grace, you'll get through it. Send us an email, and maybe we'll give you money to help you with your church plan. It could happen. We've never got an email before. so We haven't, so I don't so know. So maybe we'll send them money. Yeah, you never thank, know. Thank you so much we'll for We'll get flooded with emails for the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 